0: Hey everyone, this is Dax Nielsen from Rockin' Vodka. You're listening to Jay Scott and the Look Rock. everyone what's going on how you doing it is jay scott and it is the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast thanks for tuning in once again i always appreciate you stopping by and giving us a listen you can find us on the pantheon podcast network music related podcast you can check out all the different podcasts that they have at pantheonpodcast.com as well as on twitter instagram and facebook at pantheon pods and you can also check out the hook rocks on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Hook Rocks. So don't forget to write us a review and set your app to automatic download so you get the app or the new latest episode right to your phone. We've had some great episodes recently. We just interviewed Rick Nielsen, the legendary guitar player from Cheap Trick. We talked with him, his son Dax Nielsen, the drummer, and Andy Rio, the CEO of Rock and Vodka, which Rick is partnered with. So check out that great interview with lots of cool stuff that, rick talks about namely his relationship with jeff beck who just passed here about a month ago we also had richie kotzen on the winery dogs guitar player who just released a new album on february 3rd check out the album it's absolutely awesome extraordinary album it is great richie's playing is always next level so please check out the album and check out the interview we welcomed fastest land animal uh on the latest new music spotlight please check that out we have Also had Scott Stevens, the renowned producer and songwriter who's worked with Lizzie Hale and Hailstorm, Dorothy, Aaron Jones, Goodbye June, a whole bunch of other people. A great dude. Great conversation. One of my favorite conversations I've had in a while. So check that out. We talk about what makes a great song in his career. Just an interesting guy and has a lot to say. So please check that out. And don't miss our review of the Buddy Guy, Leilani Kilgore show in chicago a few weeks ago i'll be seeing leilani at rock and pod here coming up in march and we started the year off with the best albums of 2022 our annual album of the year episode we ranked the top 20 albums as well as the top five eps please give that a listen i think you'll enjoy it and don't forget christian eagle our music business insider talks about the monopoly that ticketmaster and live nation have created in the live entertainment industry. We have a U.S. Senate hearing now going on two weeks. And don't forget to call your reps and your senators to make change, because that's what really does drive change, is if you get involved and you make the call. If you are a fan of live music sporting events, you really want to pay attention to this, because no matter if you're In an upper-income bracket, middle-class bracket, or lower-class, you're getting screwed one way or the other with the amount of fees and the way they run their business. Just a little info before we get started with our next guest. Live Nation and Ticketmaster own 80% of the venues across the country, and acts that sign with Live Nation can only play in those venues, or else they have to find other venues to play, so... They can't play another venue. The venues that are Live Nation exclusive can't have other guests that are not in Live Nation. And who gets screwed? You. What also they do is then the initial ticket market, they only put about 10 to 15% of the tickets for sale. And then they claim it's sold out, so they drive up the secondary market, which they get a piece of, too, as well. So these are things that affect you, the live music fan, the concert fan, the sporting event fan, And there needs to be action taken, or it's just going to keep happening, keep driving the costs and paying more. All those fees that you're paying, it's going to keep going up, and it has gone up over the past year. So check out that episode. It's very important uh, for music fans and the music industry. With that being said, one of my favorite guests has returned, and she has been a part of the show on several different occasions for the last three and a half years, going on four years She's always very well-informed. She always brings a lot of great insight, and I'd like to welcome rock journalist, Sydney Taylor. What's happening, happened Sydney? How are you?
1: I'm good, Jay. I am uh, so happy to be back. I know we just were talking about before we hopped on, um, the last one we did was RAT. You know, this past summer, we discussed everything about them, so I'm happy to uh, be back to chat with you again, so thanks for having me
0: yeah you've got a lot going on. you're ready to hit the road with the winery dogs in a in a couple of weeks
1: I am uh yeah our first date is on the fifteenth of February, so when we're recording this uh a little over a week, I leave a week from tomorrow, which is crazy uh but yeah, it's gonna be a great tour like you mentioned uh the new album the winery dogs uh three you know just came out uh on Friday, so please go pick that up and uh We'll be selling it at the merch booth if you plan to come see the show, which I highly recommend you do. But, yeah, it's going to be good. I'm really looking forward to it.
0: I've seen them. This will be my fourth time seeing them. They are absolutely phenomenal, Um, world-class musicians. To have three people make that much sound and make it sound like there's ten people up on stage with them is remarkable. So if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, Go see the Winery Dogs. It's not going to break the bank. You probably get tickets for under 50, 60 bucks, probably a little less than that, depending on what place they're playing and what location they're at. Um, but do not miss it. It's a great album. Get the album like Sydney said. I hope they release a vinyl. My fingers are crossed for that. We'll see if that happens. But good luck on the tour, and uh, can't wait to hear how it goes.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we're uh, playing a lot of um, kind of really smaller in the theaters and intimate venues. So it's going to be it's going to be a really good show. Highly recommend um, coming to see it. And uh, yeah, come see me at the merch booth. It's going to be good.
0: I know Richie loves playing the event out, or the, uh, the I shouldn't say the event the the uh, theater outside of Chicago, which is the Arcata. He usually plays there with his solo band. And I think the Winer Dogs have played there. Two or three other times before that. But they they love that venue. It's a great venue. It's in one of those old theaters that was restored. So uh um, right. it's a great place.
1: Yeah, it's that's that's one of my favorite parts about um going on the road and and seeing a lot of those older theaters. Uh when I was out with Alice uh this past fall, um we played the Orpheum Theater in Memphis, Tennessee, which was just Beautiful. I, th- I just think it's some of the best parts of, of getting to go out and, and seeing different places like that. Just the old theaters are just gorgeous. So looking forward to seeing that one for sure.
0: Fantastic. Yep. Yeah. So as we always do when you come on, we always, mostly, we've talked about a couple other things um on your visits here to the Hook Rocks. But we talked the legacy of certain bands or certain artists through rock history. Like, we, like I said, we just did R.A.T. Prior to that, we did Docking. trying to think who else we've done. I know we've done a couple other ones, too, as well. But we always have these fun conversations because it's a time to reflect on the artist and also talk about what's kind of happening with them currently. And we had some big news last week. I can't say it was unexpected. I kind of thought eventually something like this would happen. And we're going to talk about Ozzy Osbourne. We're going to talk about his legacy and what's happening currently with him. But if you did miss the announcement that came out mid last week about him canceling his tour uh, due to some complications of health complications, I know he was diagnosed with Parkinson's a couple years ago. And I know there's been some articles since then that have said that he is looking forward to getting back on the road soon. Um, and we will get into that, but, um i I can't see that happening that's just my opinion because of all the health issues that he's having, and when you get into health issues, you get a new insurance and i don't know if he's able to be insured while he's on the road because when you're having parkinson's you're also subject to falls and spills and injuring yourself so we'll see what happens. I hope you know he can get back out there if that's truly what he wants, but we we may very well have seen the last Shows of Ozzy's career and a long, God, decorated career. It has been without, you know, not without controversy, but the music is definitely something that has connected with generations with his fans and, uh, look forward to talking with him about you. Or I'm sorry, look look forward to talking (laughs) with you about him.
1: I was like, man, you're going to talk to Ozzy about me. That's going to be
0: awesome. (laughs) I'm going to call him as soon as we're done.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, like you said, when I, when I saw that news, um, it didn't really come as a shock to me either. Uh, you know, I mean, at this point, Ozzy doesn't owe anybody anything when it comes to performances and, and all of that, you know, which I, but I know he loves it. And he stated on multiple occasions that, you know, it just kills him to not be able to do it like he once did. And, you know, now not to really be able to do it at all. But, um, when he did, Uh, he had a couple of dates back in 2018 in the States, and I'd actually had a chance to see him. I think he did 12, he only did 12 shows before he had gotten injured, um, that January. And I was lucky enough to be able to see one of them. And I mean, the show at that time, it was great. I mean, he honestly, I had gone with my parents as I do most times, and my dad has seen Ozzy on numerous occasions. And he even said, you know, comparative to other times he had seen him, it was a really great show and, uh, you know, it was obviously a shock to to see him get injured and then have the shows be canceled. But, you know, as the years kind of went on and then the pandemic happened and they just kept getting pushed back and then it was like you mentioned, it was revealed that he had Parkinson's. It was kind of like, you know, I think we all kind of knew that those dates were never going to happen um, but now that it 's kind of been announced and, and it 's for sure like man, you know he really isn't Tory anymore it's definitely uh the end of an era for sure,
0: you know when you get into a situation as you get older your your pride sometimes get no mo- gets in the way of what's best for you, and knowing people who have had parkinson's, and I think he also has a spinal uh cord issue. Yes, I and I don't know if that's a result of the Parkinson's or not, something different. But it sometimes it's it's like a pro athlete, you know, re- having to retire for for injuries and trying to push it as far as he can or she can. And I think that's probably the case with Ozzy. He's toured for so long. I mean, gosh, you know, since the 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 late sixties, early seventies of Black Sabbath, and you think of just throughout the decades of him performing and making music. And it's got to be tough to walk away and it's got to be tough to admit that maybe you can't do it anymore. And I think there's probably a lot with that. And there's always speculation too, of how much Sharon um, is influenced in this too, as well and keeping him out on the road. And I think there needs to be someone in that camp to kind of just say enough, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of money, you you're, you don't have to worry about that. You've done everything in rock and roll. Um, it's okay to kind of write off in the sunset at this point.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough, like you said, touring for over fifty years at this point, and you know having having it be the only thing that you really know, and to have somebody look at you and tell you that you are no longer physically able to do something, I'm sure, is very difficult. Um, I think it's possible that maybe I'd kind of seen. Uh, This opinion floating around after the news kind of came out that maybe it'd be possible if he did a residency somewhere, which I guess I could see, you know, in the statement that they released, it was kind of uh, kind of insinuated that they were looking for. um, Actually, it was just said that they were looking for other avenues for him to be able to perform without having to travel very often. Um, So I could see potentially a residency type thing happening. I don't even necessarily personally think that's just necessary. I mean, if he just wanted to hang it up, like you said, and kind of ride into the sunset and call it a day, um, like I started out saying, I don't think he really owes us anything when it comes to, you know, performances in the future, but you know, whether, like you said, it's Sharon or whether it's just the fact that he loves to do it and, you know, doesn't want to stop. I could see a residency happening. Um, but I guess, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see, but it's, it's definitely one of those things that as the years go on and we kind of, you know, just see artists pass away and not only that, but you know, in this instance, retiring and not being able to do it anymore, especially with somebody like Ozzy, who just had at one point had so much energy and just, <laughs> you know, you know, his stage show, just how crazy he was and, and everything that he did. It's, it's definitely a hard pill to swallow for fans. It
0: is. And, it, and I could see him maybe just doing one last show. You know, if he does like maybe a one or two night show in Vegas or somewhere where people come and see him at like the Caesars or, you know, what's that big football stadium they have now? I I don't know if he can fill that in this day and age, but I could see him maybe doing one or two last shows. But right. You know, you you run the risk of of him getting hurt because maybe he he'll, don't he'll want to do too much or. You know, what's the performance going to be like? And do you want that to be the last remaining memory of Ozzy for fans? Right. Um, so there's a lot of questions that surround it. Whatever he chooses to do, I know the rock community will support what he wants and what he, what he hopes to do. I just hope it doesn't sacrifice his, his legacy. Um, you know, maybe a little bit, but I don't, I don't know if he can totally do it with one performance, but you know, sometimes like Led Zeppelin, you know, they, they reunited for maybe one show or God, maybe two shows. If you count the live aid performance back in the eighties and that mystique about them keeps growing in large part because there's so much mystery about them because they don't tour anymore. And that's what leads to the next generations to like really appreciate this band and have some mystery around there's something to be said for that mystery i guess
1: yeah no i I know what you mean it's um it's you know you see it a lot with you know ironically bands who end up not doing a final tour but when they say they're gonna do a final tour you know they say they want to go out go out on top and they want to go out you know um not tarnishing what they've done and you know personally kind of like you said with the last shows that he did. I, and I know he's done some kind of one-off performances. I think he did something. And truthfully, I cannot, uh, don't quote me on it, because I can't remember exactly what it was. But I think it was a football, like, halftime show thing. But I think it was more of a lip-syncing situation. It really wasn't a, you know, full-out kind of perform type of thing. So I know he's done some stuff here and there. But, you know, like you said, I don't know if he has... Just physically, you know, maybe the energy to go out there and do a full, you know, two hour show. And at that point, yeah, it's like, you know, it's it's over and it's okay. And, you know, it's you're just you've reached a point in your career and your life where it just doesn't make sense for you to do it anymore. And, you know, you've given us enough music and enough shows over the last 50 years where, you know, you, you don't owe us anything. So like you said, I respect whatever he decides to do. Um, I hope ultimately whatever it is, is his decision um, and not being forced on him by anybody else. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm eager to see what ends up happening with that.
0: Did he do a show for like the, was it like a lunar eclipse? Like before the pandemic, I think it was, where... Like there was it was that big thing where you couldn't look at the sky during a certain period of day, and he did like bark at the moon or something like that, or
1: i uh, don't i, I remember, remember the that. I remember the solar eclipse, but I don't remember the I don't remember that performance it's entirely possible though I just i'm not placing it
0: yeah it was like bark I think he did bark at the moon or something like that um at some field like in the midwest <laughs> you know, so. I have to look that up when we're done talking, but yeah. But his legacy, his career, you know, started out with a band that is regarded as the grandfathers, the forefathers, whatever you want to call them, of heavy metal music, the inventors of heavy metal music. I don't know if I would say it's 100% of them. I think it was a collective with them and Zeppelin and Deep Purple. Um, Obviously, the music was a little heavier, throughout their catalog versus Zeppelin and Deep Purple. So people who want to make that argument could very well be right in in terms of their opinion. But, you know, Ozzy is a rare artist in rock music where he's had equal success and equal impact on people's careers and, and the music industry and the music genre, the rock genre with his band Black Sabbath and with his solo act in the eighties, predominantly in the early nineties, um, he stole, you know, releasing albums after that, but to have two periods of time where he was at the height and peak of that genre, I, I think the only one I can think of that comes close to that, or probably equal to it is Paul McCartney of the Beatles who had obviously the, the career with the Beatles and now, you know, with his solo act, there was also wings in there too. So he's had a few tastes of the apple, the, in terms of success. And Ozzy's had it with his solo career in Black Sabbath. I don't know. I can't think of anyone else who's had success of that magnitude with two different, well, one was a band, one was a solo act, but I can't think of anyone else.
1: Yeah. I mean, my first and, When you said that, my first thought was, uh, I thought of Dio as well, but not, not on the same level of it, I guess, you know, I I thought of like rainbow and, um, and then eventually he did go to black Sabbath. So it was kind of the same thing. And then he ended up going into, uh, you know, his solo band Dio, but I don't think even then, I don't think it was the same level as Ozzy had, um, but he he was the first other one that kind of popped into my head. But also, I don't know if that was just because <laughs> I made the Black Sabbath connection. But yeah, I mean the Paul McCartney thing is is also really valid. Um, yeah, I mean just Black Sabbath, man. I mean personally, I kind of always see them as being the forefathers of of heavy metal. Personally, um, especially I think when you think of what eventually went on to become kind of more, uh, you know, thrash and. Of, you know, death and black metal eventually. I mean, just the creation of the tritone and not the creation, but you know, the use of the tritone and, and that type of music and um how kind of evil they made everything sound and how that eventually progressed to, you know, the type of metal that we see now. Um I've just always personally regarded them as as the godfathers and and forefathers of heavy metal. Um so to have that kind of in your, <laughs> you know, in your repertoire is just, I mean incredible. I don't, I don't even know. I was thinking like, what is it like to be in black Sabbath and to, uh, to have invented that, that style of music?
0: (laughs) Well, he played a huge part, obviously in that, you know, Tony Iommi with the riffs and, you know, geezer Butler and, and Ozzy and Bill Ward, um, you know, just a phenomenal band, um, coming up the ranks with Zeppelin and deep purple at that time and really having, like you said, the, the amount of influence they had on hard rock and heavy metal is undeniable. I've always looked at Ozzy and I, I had the guys from the Black Sabbath podcast on, I don't know, like a year ago, maybe a little bit more. It's so hard to keep track of time with the pandemic or when things happen, but I was describing Ozzy's voice and what makes it so unique and what makes it you know, so recognizable, and there's been paintings throughout time of clowns that have a sad face and a happy face, and when you look at that, the the, the opposites of what they are, it's kind of like a metaphor for life when you when you think about it. But when you think of singing, Ozzy has that tragic. Tone to his voice, meaning like there's an underlying vulnerability and sadness to his voice that I think really connects with people because it's like that sad clown that is performing for you and you're having a good time, but there's a lot behind the voice and what got there. You know, we we've heard Ozzy, you know, with the drug addiction, the alcoholism, and the controversies throughout the years, and You know, there's a lot going on with him in terms of who he is as a person, a lot maybe that no one's been able to uncover, but his voice really speaks to what he is and how he connects with people with that vulnerability. And yeah, yeah, you know, when you, when you hear it, it's, there is a sense of joy with the music, but there's also like, like I said, an underlying sadness in the depth of, the, of that singing, of that voice.
1: Yeah, when you say that, the first song I thought of um, was Goodbye to Romance on Blizzard of Oz. That exact kind of style that you're just describing. I can definitely hear on that song and, and other songs as well, but that was the first one that popped into my head. And uh, that song has always, when I listen to it, has always made me feel kind of... I don't know, like somber, like, you know, melancholy, like, you know, just his vocal delivery and obviously the the music and the instrumentation helps with all of that too. But, uh, yeah, definitely his vocal delivery. Um, I feel like plays, plays a big role in that and kind of touching on what you were mentioning when it comes to vulnerability kind of outside of his vocal stylings, uh, I mean i don't know if you had seen the documentary um it's i think it i think it was the nine the nine lives of ozzy osbourne i believe that's what it was called um i could be wrong uh but it, i think it premiered on like A&E a couple of years ago like two or three years ago um you know same in his autobiography if you've read that uh just kind of a lot into his childhood and how it wasn't the easiest childhood and it was a lot of you know struggle and working from a really young age and um, I've always kind of felt an affinity for Ozzy for just I mean who he is as a person and he's always seemed like he's never <laughs> been malicious in any way of, and, and just always kind of a really kind heart and just doing things because he loves to do them and uh, not you know not to say that he hasn't had his moments you know kind of with the drug addiction like you mentioned and everybody who reaches a kind of height like that ends up you know they have their moments but I feel like just him as a person and as we watched him get older and uh I don't know, I've always just felt he, like you said, he kind of just has this aura of vulnerability around him. He's never been scared to, you know, admit that he never thought that this would happen to him. And, and um he's always kind of had an insecure kind of uh way about him that he's always kind of kept with him, which I mean, you look at his success and you wonder how somebody so successful could still feel that way. But a lot of it goes back to his childhood. So I think that a lot of that vulnerability definitely ties into, you know, maybe how he delivers songs. And, uh, you know, I totally, totally can see uh, how you kind of mentioned that.
0: Well, when you think back of the end of the Ozzy era with Black Sabbath, there was... The last two albums, you know, there were his alcoholism, his addictions really, um, started to really deteriorate the band. So much so there's a story in Van Halen Rising written by Greg Renoff where they were Eddie, Van Halen was opening for Black Sabbath, I think in the UK. And Ozzy went into the wrong hotel room and passed out. Uh, cause he was on the substance or very drunk and they couldn't find him for the show. And he missed the show and Van Halen ended up doing two sets. Um, so there's always been situations like that throughout. I mean, there's the peeing on the Alamo. There's the biting the head off a bat. There's, um, so many things that he is known for is, as, as far as controversy goes. And I think for a while, at least in the early eighties, that really overshadowed the music, Um, you know, because when I was growing up to get an Ozzy Osbourne album into my school or into, you know, my house, it was like a covert operation. I mean, you had, there's so many kinds he was like the second coming of the devil basically. And, you know, when, when I see him years later at the white house correspondence dinner, when George uh, W. Bush was president I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This is guys. And and he
1: says, you know, Ozzy Osbourne and he stands up and he throws both of his hands in the air and he just
0: (laughs) How does that happen? How do you go from being the devil people burning your albums and and banning your albums um, to now being at the White House Correspondence Center? I just, I'm still blown away by that. Obviously that was because of the reality show that he had, the Osbournes. Um, But it all starts with Black Sabbath. And without Black Sabbath, there is no solo career. There, there isn't no reality show. Um, Black Sabbath meant so much for fans and for the music, but it also meant a lot to Ozzy in his career. Um, for him to kind of go into a solo career rather seamlessly from Black Sabbath.
1: Yeah. I mean, you look at that and it was, it was quite a comeback. You know, he kind of, I think we've all heard the story. If you're an Aussie fan of him, you know, being in that hotel room after, you know, he was kicked out of Black Sabbath and, you know, kind of rotting away in there and the drugs and the alcohol and, you know, Sharon coming in and trying to help him revitalize his career. And, you know, of course the introduction of Randy Rhodes and, I don't think it happens very often where you see – and I mean, there's a couple instances, I think, over the course of, you know, hard rock and heavy metal where we've seen this. But to completely go from kind of people looking at you uh, like you're a joke or you don't really have it anymore or, you know, bringing in a new singer to a band like Black Sabbath. And then you, Ozzy in this case, going into a solo career, you know, came out with Blizzard of Oz, which is – Arguably one of the greatest, in my opinion, one of the greatest albums of all time. I, I, you know, just love that record. I mean, how many times do you hear Crazy Train nowadays still, you know, over 40 years later? Um, so I I think it's just really remarkable that comeback that he had and the fact that he's, you know, still obviously still known for his work with Black Sabbath, of course, but it's almost debatable that his solo career is not too too far behind the success that he had at Black Sabbath, in my opinion.
0: This is an interesting question. Do you think Ozzy's solo career would have been as big as it was had it not been for Randy Rhodes? No. Why?
1: I think Randy brought so much to the band, not only musically, um, he brought this, you know, obviously the, it was as time was progressing then, and you know, you had already had the introduction of Eddie Van Halen at that point. And, um, I think the kind of more, um, quote unquote shreddy guitar player, uh, kind of nuance was, was really into the music at that point. And, you know, Randy Rhodes by no means was just a shredder. He was able to incorporate kind of classical stylings with, uh you know of course the hard rock and and metal genre um and i also think on top of what randy brought to the the band just musically i mean he was he's my favorite guitar player of all time i mean he just and what he did in the 2 years he was in that band is just incredible um but he also brought i think an energy to ozzy that ozzy still talks about to this day you know um motivation and the the want to create this music and continue on and um we obviously know how crushing the loss of randy was to him and he's talked about it but i just think that randy brought such an aura to that band um that nobody else could have done i think that ozzy would have stood a fighting chance without randy i don't think he would have totally fallen um on his butt by any means but i think that it definitely would not have had the impact that it did without randy
0: I agree. I agree that Randy had a huge impact on his playing because it was different. It was innovative and it also didn't put the focus primarily on Ozzy. Right. If another guitar player had been chosen for those first two albums, I don't know if Ozzy would have been able to carry all of it, which he didn't have to do because of Randy. I also think, in my opinion, that Bob Daisley, who wrote a lot of the music on Blizzard of Oz and I believe also Diary of a Madman um, had a lot to do with it too, as well. I think Ozzy really surrounded himself with great musicians. I think, you know, uh, Rudy Sarzo toured with them. I don't know if he wrote any music on those first two albums, but, you know, when you have Rudy and Randy and you have Bob Daisy writing the music um as well, I think it was a perfect situation for Ozzy to be in. I think if, if it was just Randy without Bob Daisley writing a lot of that music, I don't know if the music would have been able to catapult Ozzy into superstardom as a solo artist. But right. I think Randy, because Randy is still highly regarded as a phenomenal guitar player. When you think about it, there's that stuff with Quiet Riot that's out there that you can find, but it, there's also. The, the you know those, those two soul albums are pretty much better than anything that has come after that right i mean there's been nothing there's i mean bark at the moon's a great album ultimate sin no rest for the wicked no more tears and it goes on those are all great albums but are they regarded in the yeah. same way as blizzard of oz and diary, diary of a
1: madman you always go back i don't know about you but me i mean i feel like i always go back to those first two records always those are, you know, and the ultimate sin is one of my all-time favorite Aussie records. Um, but if I'm, you know, looking at what I listen to frequently and I always go back to Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman every single time. I mean, in my opinion, perfect records, uh just I mean and, and you think about it too, and I know we're not talking about just Randy Rhodes, but I mean the the Legacy and the impact that Randy Rhodes left. And I know you said he, we all know kind of did the, um, stuff with Quiet Riot, which also was phenomenal, but you know, he really kind of got his, his quote unquote fame with those two albums. And I mean, to have two albums worth of material and to have left the legacy and the impact that he has left, you know, for the last 40 years is just, is just insane to me. Whenever I think about it, I'm like, man, you, just think about how good he was and what he would be doing if he was still here. Uh, but I just think he, you know, like you said, Bob Daisley had such a big part in it. I know Lee Kerslake uh, played with drums on that record, I think on Diary of a Madman 2. Um, I know Tommy Aldridge uh, was the touring drummer on that. I don't think Rudy Sarza wrote anything either. I think he was just um, a touring member. But you're right, People who brought out the best in him and, and what he was looking to do. And I think he's always really managed to do that as his career progressed, even. Um, he always seemed to match himself up with the musicians who knew how to kind of carry on his sound and what he was looking for. I mean, I even feel that way about Jake E. Lee as well. Um, different from Randy Rhodes, but still was able to kind of nail that, um, kind of iconic sound that we think of when we think of Ozzy solo stuff. So I think he's just always had a knack for kind of finding these musicians as his career progressed. But man, I mean, to me those first two albums, like you said, are just perfection.
0: They really are. Uh and they do stand the test of time. I don't think there's a bad song on either album. And I think it really he settled in as that face. I mean you think of those two albums and then shortly thereafter, Randy Rhodes dies in that plane crash. Brad Gillis does the, the, the tour to finish up the tour. I think it was the Speak of the Devil tour. And then he um, he goes on to Night Ranger, and then they hire Jakey Lee. And then he comes into this, this festival, this Us Festival, which we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of it this year, where he's, I think, the third ban on the bill i think he goes on after quiet riot and motley Crue. and when yeah. you think of ozzy being the third artist on that bill that also featured priest and triumph and scorpions and van halen if you were to reshuffle that now you could make the argument that he would headline over van halen or play in the spot that scorpions was was at but that's what the world was at that time in rock where ozzy was still trying to find his footing with mainstream and it really wasn't until the 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 MTV era where he, after that festival he really took off.
1: Which I think too, you know, kind of like you mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of kind of controversy has surrounded his career, right? You know, like you said, the the painting on the Alamo and the biting the head off the bat and biting the head off the dove and you know, all the rest of the stuff um that you know we've heard about him over the years. It was a persona. It was it was almost a pop culture kind of character. You know what I mean? That maybe somebody like a band like Motley Crue didn't have, you know, Ozzy as a, the Prince of Darkness kind of became this larger than life kind of pop culture icon that he continued, you know, with doing controversial stuff like um biting the head off a bat, you know, that's still talked about 40 years later that has nothing to do with any of his music. Uh, but, you know, you could ask anybody, uh, in a g- younger generation about Ozzy Osbourne. And I'm sure a majority of people would actually be able to tell you about the bat thing. You know, it's, it's something that he's become this kind of pop culture icon that not every band has. Um, his, you know, career is taking him to reality shows and, you know, like you said, White House correspondence dinners. And, um, I think that also contributes to his size as an artist. Uh, That maybe right at that time uh, wasn't really fully recognized yet. But I think just that development as kind of a a pop culture icon um, really kind of helped with that, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. And let's not forget, too, that the reality show really made him into a lovable character. Right. And that is still amazing to me. You know, I mentioned first part of this conversation about how much h- the controversy was and, and parents were afraid of their kids listening to his music because they thought he was evil and they thought he was sinful and all this stuff. I mean, you know, people don't appreciate it or understand what it was like to be a hard rock and heavy metal fan in the eighties. Cause there was all this stuff about playing albums backwards. And, and then you had the, the, uh, the suicide. Uh, Tipper
1: Gore.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, Tipper Gore, but then you had, you know, <laughs> the controversy over the song Suicide Solution, which, yep. um, you know, it was, was, he was accused of creating that atmosphere where I believe two teens did a double suicide, um, as a result of that song, similar to what Judas, what happened with Judas Priest. So the eighties was a wild time. For hard rock and heavy metal i mean the 70s i think everybody was kind of stoned and everybody was just kind of like whatever because it really wasn't i mean black sabbath was really the only major um controversial figure i mean you had others too as well but no, nothing that ever reached the height of black sabbath and then going in the 80s especially with all the controversy of the bat and the dove and the pin on the alamo and the suicide solution song and then I think he had a nervous breakdown before the ultimate sin record where he was missing for weeks. No one knew where he was and I still don't know if that you know how that I, I don't remember how it was resolved, but there was a lot of stuff going on and I I think you know in the early part the music was I'm not saying the music was bad in the second part of his solo career, but the music was so awesome, those first two albums. And Bark at the Moon was a great album too, as well. Ultimate Sin, great album. I don't know if it was strong as the three previous ones, still a great album. Then you come back with Zach, you got No Rest for the Wicked and No More Tears that are just phenomenal albums. And I think really when he when it comes down to it, it really wasn't until No More Tears that mainstream seemed to finally accept them because the stuff before that, whether it was with Miracle Man and Crazy Babies, I think there was some, uh, uh, you know, I think, I think, I don't know if it was before, it may have been before No Rest for the Wicked or in between No Rest for the Wicked and No More Tears was the ballad with Lita Ford, uh, you know, and, I think that helped a lot too, because that became a huge hit. So that, that, and and no more tears, because no more tears was a big song too as well. And you had Mom mom coming home. It really was the moment where he really his career was propelled into really superstardom that he had been searching for for like the ten years earlier in his solo career, which he had it in the metal and rock fans, but not in the mainstream fans.
1: Yeah. It's funny. You kind of talking about seeing him as a normal person as well, because I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've seen the decline of Western civilization part two. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, it's one of my favorite documentaries. Um, and it's so funny because it's like you look at him, right? And like you said, all this controversy, all this stuff. He's evil. He's the prince of darkness, you know, all this stuff. And then you see him in that documentary. I think that documentary came out in 87, um, 86 or 87. And he's
0: dressed as <laughs> like, he he I mean? a woman A woman in that,
1: right? He, he well, he's, they were interviewing him and he was just walking around his kitchen in like a cheetah print, leopard print robe. Okay. Uh, making breakfast, pouring orange juice, cooking eggs and bacon. So like cool. it's one of my favorite, it's like one of my favorite Aussie moments. Cause it's just, it's just so hilarious that, you know, like you said, this guy that's been deemed, you know, evil and he spends his free time, you know, sacrificing animals and, you know, summoning the devil and all this crazy stuff. Right. And it's like just him making breakfast in his kitchen, you know, and we eventually go on to see a lot more of that, like you mentioned, in in, in the Osbournes, which is a reality show. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just so, so funny how normal of a person he is and just how how all that controversy kind of got got wrapped up. And like you said, overshadowing the music a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just you look at his career and I think he just he had a phenomenal stretch from. The first, of course, Black Sabbath, but his first solo album all the way to No More Tears. And I think after that, it gets a little bit dicey, personally, as we continue to go on. I mean, I like Osmosis. I like Perry Mason and a lot of those songs, which I know a lot. It gets a lot of flack. Uh, You know, I know some fans say that it's too commercial and, you know, too light and, um. Whatever, but I think after that period, and as we kind of get into the two thousands, and you know, eventually, the later two thousands, like the two thousand tens, I think it gets a little bit dicey as to the quality of things. Um, but I think from, I mean, Blizzard of Oz all the way to No More t- Tears and even Osmosis, that I mean, he had a, a phenomenal decade long run, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, he, he did, and and those albums that you mentioned after No More Tears are great albums too as well. I think they get, I don't want to say forgotten. I think that's the wrong word, or they're maybe they're not as appreciated as much as No More Tears and before that is because the grunge movement kind of really came in, right, and saturated music. So getting that stuff out was and listened and people getting ears on it was much more difficult. Um, to kind of go back to what I talked about with the suicide solution controversy, it was just one teenager. It was a 19 year old, John Daniel McCullum, who committed suicide in Riverside, California. And the parents brought the lawsuit against Ozzy because they said that he listened to the song and he then later committed suicide, but they were unable to prove that there was any correlation between the suicide and the song. Um, and there's a line in the song that was alleged, why try get the gun and shoot, Um, which Daisley and Osborne both claimed that it said, get the flaps out. Flaps, they insisted, it was an English vulgar slang term for vagina. Um, but again, going back to that period, you know, that was real back then. That was a huge controversy. That was something that, you know, my Preteen and teenage self would go to the, you know, magazine rack and read the circus magazines and the hit braider magazines about this controversy. And there was even talk about re releasing the album without the song and banning the song on radio, um, which was crazy to think of. Gosh, that was 30 some years ago, 40 some years ago almost. And it was, it was a real thing. And Bob Daisley wrote it in response to bond Scott dying because he felt Ozzy was on the same path as bond, who we all know died of alcohol poisoning, um, in, in uh, in 1980, in 1980, 80. Yeah, it was 1980. And, um, so he wrote that in regards to that. So again, Ozzy being surrounded by controversy, um, it just never seemed to, uh, he never seemed to get away from it. Least in the '80s, um, and, he, and he was front and center. I mean, this was this, this stuff was on 60 Minutes in 2020, and all those new shows back then. It was a it was a crazy time.
1: No, definitely. I mean, uh, it's it's crazy, and we saw it with so many other bands too. But it's just crazy to 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 witness, and just even I mean, I wasn't there to to witness that, but to even hear about just how seriously that people take you know, some, some lyrics and we, I mean, we see it even still, you know, as with artists like Marilyn Manson and, you know, a a lot of artists like that, just how still it's regarded as uh, being taken way out of context being taken literally. Um, And I don't want to change the subject too much, but I just saw that uh, Ozzy actually just won two Grammys um, pre, uh, of course they don't air actually the rock ones because I, you know, They hate us, but (laughs) before they do, um, they just announced that he won uh, the best rock album for Patient Number Nine and the best metal performance for uh, Degradation Rules, uh, with which is a song that features Tony Iommi. Um, so I just saw that, which is pretty cool. I mean. I know people have mixed opinions on the Grammys but it's uh it's amazing that even with what we were talking about with uh his kind of the state of his career and how things are changing that he's still able to win two of the biggest music awards for what he's doing. So it's pretty cool. Is that the first
0: time he's won a Grammy?
1: I don't know.
0: That'd be remarkable. If those if, I'm going
1: to I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up right now.
0: Be remarkable if he, those are the first two Grammys he's won with his body of work um, throughout, throughout the decades. That would be incredible. That would also just prove the point of how out of touch the Grammys are. Now, not to say that I'm happy Ozzy got a Grammy, but it's just under weird circumstances.
1: Yeah, I, I'm trying to find it. I'm really curious. Now that you mention it, it's so funny because, like, thinking... About it, and I'm like, of course he's won a Grammy, like he's effin' and, and then I'm like, I actually, I'm not so sure about that. Don't
0: be, yeah, don't be so sure.
1: I know, I'm like, can screw
0: up anything. It's the Grammys and the Rock and the Hall of Fame are like neck and neck with just screwing everything up.
1: I honestly don't know if he has ever won one, and the answer is kind of hard to find. But we're gonna, I'm gonna have to. Go back and I'll I'll let you know. But it, I think it might be the first Grammys ever won. But again, don't quote me on that. It just uh I'm, I'm
0: googling has Ozzy ever won a Grammy? Uh, he did win oh one in nine, 2014 for a rock song 2011, so he has one.
1: Oh, okay, he has one of the past. Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, oh,
1: okay, he won it for yeah, I'm seeing for God is dead and okay, yeah, okay. I gotcha.
0: All right. Well, that that makes me feel a little better, a little better. But yeah, you know, getting back to his career, um, you know, those those first two albums, "Blizzard of Oz" and "Diary of a Madman," are are such a a high bar to to begin a a solo career. And then you know, with Jake E. Lee, he goes into "Bark at the Moon" and "The Ultimate Sin," which "Bark at the Moon" was still kind of raw and it still kind of had you know the hard rock feel where i think ultimate sin is when he kind of glammed it up a little bit remember with the sequence blue sparkly stuff and the lightning strikes <laughs> video and you know the ultimate sin video and and then shot in the dark you know where he had like the blonde you know h- highlights and the and the you know the hairspray and everything and he had the yellow and black sequence uh called a robe or a cape
1: which I love that era of Ozzy, and some yeah. people hate it. I love it. I think it's just so, I mean, I'm so into the, you know, the whole 80s kind of glam thing. So I love that era of Ozzy, and that's actually, like I mentioned, one of my favorite Ozzy records. Um, one of my favorite things that my parents told me when I was growing up, uh, my two favorite songs when I was a little, little kid was No One Like You by The Scorpions and Shot In The Dark by Ozzy Osbourne. I, they told me that I would sit in the back seat of the car, I and mean, whenever that song came on, um, or they put it on or whatever, I would just lose my mind. So it's funny, because as I've grown up, and I have, you know, obviously listened to the full album and and all that stuff and seen the videos, and I mean, that video for Shot in the Dark, it's so campy, but it's so... It's just like, to me, it's just so iconic. I, I love that period of Ozzy. Uh, I really do.
0: Yeah, me too. I... I... Love the ultimate sin record, and I love Bark at the Moon. Um, yeah, I think Jakey Lee's playing on both those albums is, is extraordinary. I mean, you know, you you think of that riff and shot in the dark, and you think of his playing on on Lightning Strikes, which um which was just awesome. And then, you know, when you go back to Bark at the Moon, you know, obviously the title track is you know is a great song, Rock and Roll Rebel. Um, so tired, which I love and you're no different. Um, so many great songs in in that Jakey Lee era. And of course, you know, there's, it's come out since then that, you know, Jake and Sharon really didn't get along. Um, there was some writing credit controversies as well where Jake would bring these songs and then all of a sudden Ozzy's name would appear on it. And I get frustration at Jakey Lee, but I also get that, you know, Ozzy is the, is the name you know and, and how much he had to do with it is you know, you know there's two sides of every story but you know jake really did have a big impact in keeping his career afloat during again more controversy over those two albums thank god for the bomb was a great song killer yeah. of giants full like you i love love the intro to full like you I, I love that song
1: a great one secret loser too i like a lot um it's just i think those two albums are really are really solid and like you know like we kind of mentioned not as not quite as solid as you know the randy stuff but i also just hold randy on such a a high pedestal that i (laughs) like nothing could touch it um but yeah i mean i love those two records i think that he still managed to you know you think about it and the only kind of at that point, the only solo thing he had was with this one specific band Um, and, you know, kind of having to go from that to new musicians and trying to figure out how to keep that sound and without Randy Rhodes and without, you know, uh, other key members must've not been the easiest thing, but I think that they managed to keep that, that vibe that they had created with, those first two albums in a different way you know obviously jakey lee's tone and and sound is not a replication of randy Rhodes, but i think that they were able to kind of keep that energy throughout um those two records so i think they're great i don't think uh i think that the flack that the ultimate sin gets is a little is a little annoying sometimes to see stuff about how um you know he went to commercial and you know the same stuff you hear about a lot of bands during the mid 80s period 85 86 but man i just think i think it was just a part of his career it was the time it was uh just you know the era of the music and uh i like i said love that period of his career and uh, one of my favorite aussie records for sure
0: see my opinion of the ultimate sin is the music is certainly not Indicative of the glam scene that was really becoming popular at that time, because you I mean look at some of those songs like the the ultimate sin, thank God for the bomb, and maybe yeah. strikes. There's nothing glam about those songs, right? Um, they're I mean, they're just as heavy as stuff on Bark at the Moon, and 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 what came before that. I think the image, which what he did, you know, with with the sequence stopped and the hair and everything. I think, yeah, he, he went for that look that was popular. But also, now that we have the ability to kind of look back on that era, you had to do that if you wanted your music to go on TV. You had, I mean, ACDC had some mild success in the 80s with Who Made Who, and then the re-release of You Shook Me All Night Long, and then Into Blow Up Your Video with the song Heat Seeker. But other than that, acdc really was kind of forgotten in a way after especially for those about the rock i mean there was flick of the switch that came in there too as well and there was you know some mild popularity with fly on the wall but because they were a, a, a jeans and a t-shirt band basically they weren't the they weren't adored by the mtv fans in the, in the mtv generation and it really did hurt their career now Of course, you know, they've had that resurgence ever since then, and and they're more popular than ever, especially with their last album. But they were like the one band that really didn't do that, really didn't change their look. Um, Ozzy did, and so many others did too as well. Um, But without him changing the look, we're not talking about – we're talking about Ozzy in a different light because as much as those – first two albums are important to his solo career that image that he did was so important to keeping him relevant yeah it really was i mean if you i mean just listen to the music and forget about what he was wearing it's just as hard as bark at the moon it's just as hard as blizzard of oz and diary of a madman and i think when you look forward into No More Tears, I think No More Tears has way more commercial appeal with Mama I'm Coming Home, Road to Nowhere, and I can't remember the um Time After Time. Yeah. Which was, which was the three ballads. I mean, Ozzy had three ballads on his album. They were all I think Road to Nowhere Mama I'm Coming Home or really big Mama I'm Coming Home, which I think is probably his biggest song in terms of commercial success um so that album i think had a lot more commercial vibe to it than anything that came before it
1: yeah i I think i think kind of what i was mentioning with the ultimate sin is that i think you know people get caught up on the like you said the image i think people looked at that album and and kind of combined the image with like the popularity of a song like shot in the dark which was in my opinion still heavy but definitely um you know some metal elitists i guess would say is not quite as heavy or a little too melodic or you know etc um so i think maybe sometimes people got caught up on that like you said a little too much tying the image in with the music um if you really separated it like you mentioned it was just just as heavy as i think previous stuff um but yeah i mean i think the the commercialism definitely got stronger as the albums went on and I mean, not even necessarily with, um, No Rest for the Wicked. I don't, I don't really think it was there too much. Uh, as to me, I think that's kind of the, the lost album between, you know, in the midst of his peak. I feel like a lot of people don't really, uh, you know, of course we remember it because, we're super fans and, you know, are very knowledgeable on this music, but I think sometimes it kind of gets forgotten in the mix of, of it. So I mean, maybe wouldn't necessarily say the commercialism was on that one, but definitely with no more tears. I mean, mama, I'm coming home is, I love the song, but it's still, it's just still when I turn on rock radio, I mean, I worked in rock radio for a period of time and it, we played it a lot. <laughs> um, So, yeah, I mean, I think if we're comparing the commercialism of, Ozzy records, I mean the ultimate sin to me is definitely not up there. But I think the image, like you mentioned, definitely definitely ties it in, into somehow being more commercial. And also a lot, there were a lot more videos, you know. Um, I don't know if people also tied in the fact that there was a lot of MTV videos that they're being more commercial. And I, I don't really know. Like I said, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to tell with not living in the time <laughs> and seeing it and seeing kind of the live reaction. Uh, but I don't know if that was a factor to it as well.
0: Yeah, I, um, the 80s is filled with bands. The second part of the 80s is filled with bands that had to glam it up image wise. But when you listen to their music, there's nothing really glam about it. I mean, you think of bands like Cinderella. You know, if Cinderella came yeah. out in the 70s, they'd be a contemporary of Aerosmith. But, man, when I hear, Ultimate Sin. That's that's a that's a hard rock album. There's nothing.
1: That that title track of that album is like it's pretty. Riff on that title track. It's definitely there's nothing commercial about that riff. And I know like you know I know it had the accompanying video and everything to it. Um, but man, it's it's definitely definitely not too commercial. Which is like I said, when I hear people say that, I'm like I I think it's a great record. I don't I don't personally um get it, but uh. Yeah, I mean, I love it.
0: I think people associate The Ultimate Sin with the song with Lita Ford. Um,
1: Okay, right.
0: You know, Close Your Eyes Forever, um, which was very commercial. I mean, it's still very commercial. Or Close My Eyes Forever, not Close Your Eyes Forever. But, um, you know, that I think came out right after The Ultimate Sin, so I think people equate that with Ozzy going commercial. Um, and that's on a of Ford album. There was also a collaboration with Gary Moore on one of his solo albums called Lead Clones. And that was the response to bands like Kingdom Come and some of the other bands that were coming out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> eight to ten
0: years after Zeppelin broke up that were sounding like Zeppelin. So that's a deep cut. Off of, uh, uh, of, of, of Ozzy's career that's on a Gary Moore record. But yeah, getting back to that Close My Eyes Forever song that had huge commercial success. And I think that's really what made Ozzy fans and hard rock fans label him as being a sellout at that time. And then, like you said, No Rest for the Wicked comes out, which is this hard rock. I mean, it's, Gosh, it's a masterpiece of Miracle Man and Crazy Babies and Breaking All the Rules and Demon Alcohol and Fire in the Sky. I mean, just a kick-ass album. And I think what, Zach was 18 or 19 years old when he recorded that. Yeah. Which was absolutely phenomenal. Um, And then there was a little bit of tongue-in-cheekness with the Miracle Man song because it was about the the, the televangelist back in the day that really would shred Ozzy. And really would start that controversy about Ozzy being the devil. That's where it really started from with like the Jimmy Swaggerts and the Jimmy Baker um, televangelist movement in the early to mid 80s. And then he kind of poked fun at them because they were all having these controversies themselves of affairs and sleeping with prostitutes and all this stuff. And that's what stemmed the the motivation for writing Miracle
1: Man. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, like I said, wasn't living in, in the time at that period. But I remember I remember watching that uh, video with my dad and he <laughs> he kind of gave me the whole the whole rundown, which I mean, I obviously we, we have still people like that today. But most right. people really pay at least at least I don't. I'm sure there's an audience out there that does uh, that pays too much attention to it or you know i mean we already have enough of everyone's differing opinions on social media anyway uh but yeah i mean i i love that album as well it's definitely it's definitely not i think up there personally with my favorite aussie records uh but i mean it's it's still up there for me i think it's it's heavy and like i mentioned earlier i think it's somehow sometimes still a little bit forgotten when it comes and i don't want to say for maybe necessarily forgotten because people still know of it and talk about it, but I think, you know, mostly when you talk about Ozzy or hear about Ozzy, uh, it just doesn't come up as much as all of the other ones. Um, You know, I, I don't know, I don't know the reasoning for that. Um, Whether it's, it was the first one with Zach, uh, Zach Wilds and, you know, it kind of came back stronger with, no More Tears. I don't really know the exact reasoning for it, but I feel like sometimes it's just left out of the conversation.
0: Well, it also was part of that era that was the Moscow Music Peace Festival, which right. was during that tour, during that um, segment of his career, where a bunch of hard rock bands, Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, Scorpions, Skid Row, I think it was Cinderella on that too as well. I I believe so. I think
1: so.
0: And that was a big deal because that was with the fall of communism that was around that era and having American bands, American hard rock bands, because I don't know, you know, whoever is listening that may not know this, Russia is very conservative when it comes to music and arts and stuff like that. And And it's actually gone backwards since the Moscow Music Peace Festival, where it's very hard for you to get access to american music and american bands um just because they you know they're a communist country and they they censor a lot of things so having that happen and that was simulcast on the radio it was on television it was a big deal um and seeing ozzy there too as well again i think this is when the the public perception of him kind of started to change where mainstream started to accept him because after that, like we talked about, no more tears came out, which I think is a great album, but the commercial success of that album with the big song that we talked about, my mom coming home and no more tears was on there and got Mr. Tinker train, which is a great song. There's so many great songs on that, on that album, but with the music Peace festival And him kind of getting away from the controversies that kind of always pulled him back. And I also think the hypocrisy with the televangelist movement was finally exposed. Um, And people started to accept him as a performer as well. I think that was like the first seed that was planted of Ozzy's not going to kill your kids. He's okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, personally for me, I, you know, I don't really mind the, the more quote unquote commercial sounding songs either. I mean some like I was saying, you know, some some really metal elitist people out there, you know, whatever. To me, a good song is a good song. And if I like it, I like it. And I don't really give a crap if it's big or not big or whatever. And I know you're the same way. Mm. Um so I mean I love that album. I love Road to Nowhere. I love Mama, I'm coming home. Uh it's I think I think they're great songs. Uh so I mean I can see why, you know they were so big, and I mean, obviously, they're more accessible to uh, a wide, wider variety of an audience. So, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I didn't, never personally minded, and and with any band, really. I mean, the more commercial stuff, um, I think you know, songs are big for a reason, and I mean, I totally understand the the argument that we've gone over many times before of oh, things got too commercial, and I mean, I get it, but I think in the sake of something like No More Tears. I think there was heavy stuff on that too. There was obviously, like we mentioned three songs that were much tamer, more ballads, but to me, it remained an evolution of Ozzy. It never, to me, faded so far away from what Ozzy was or what uh, we knew from Ozzy that it was like, man, what the, what is this kind of thing? Uh, So, I mean, I, I always enjoyed that record as well.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, It was really the first time that I remember where a year before that, you know, the girls in high school were listening to Bon Jovi and Cinderella and Skid Row. And now they're listening and they're going to Ozzy Osbourne concerts and they're buying Ozzy Osbourne albums. And that is really the true test of when someone's made it in rock is if there's now a a female audience. Right that's what really drives popularity is a female audience in any genre of music. And I remember that was probably the last time, I think that's the last time I think maybe I saw him on osmosis or whenever the first Ozfest was, I think that was the last time I saw Ozzy Osbourne in concert, but um, that album, no more tears really shows Zach wild growing as a guitar player. You know, I mean, he had some, you know, maybe he didn't have the depth, that he had, I think, in, in No More Tears and the No More Tears album that he did on No Rest for the Wicked. But, um, yeah, it's a phenomenal album. It's probably his, outside of the first two, it's probably his most popular album. And then, you know, we go into Osmosis, which had the song Perry Mason, and, of course, there were some good players on that album. Of course, Zach Wilde and Geezer Butler played bass, and Dean Castronova, who I love as a drummer, and Rick Wakeman on keys. He had some really, really great musicians on that album. And uh, See You on the Other Side was a big song, too, as well. And then after Osmosis, he really became the pop culture icon that he is today with the reality show, the, the Osbornes. And that was, um, was that MTV VH1 or was that A&E? What was that? Do you remember?
1: Um, I don't, I, my gut wants to say VH1, but I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that was, that was huge. I mean, like you said earlier, kind of exposed, um, just, the average audience to who he was as a person and that, yeah, he wasn't (laughs) capable of killing your kids and he wasn't trying to summon the devil and, and all this stuff, you know, he's just, uh, I mean, normal. I don't know if I'd say normal, but he was, you know, he's still a person and, you know, he was also hilarious. I, I still see clips all the time from that show. And I think, you know, even adding the humor into it kind of made him, the humor into it made it more, made him more human um, to people. So it's, it's funny. Cause I believe he was the first, you know, I know Gene Simmons followed after him with his own reality show, but I think he was the first one to really, to really have that, at least in the rock world.
0: Yeah, no, he was. And it was an amazing concept is, you know, here's this guy that had all this, has had all this controversy through the seventies and eighties. And he's just like, kind of like a teddy bear. And, 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 you know there are funny moments with him and his family and i and I think if anything, that show really exposed the power of Sharon as a presence in the music industry. Yes. I don't think people really appreciated that until that show because she's gone on and she's had success with different talk shows and and being on different um platforms too as well um and of course, with that, there's more stuff written about her. From the past, namely the Jakey Lee stuff, namely the remasters when they re-recorded, you know, the part, the Bob Daisley parts on those first two albums with, I think it was Rob Trujillo, uh, Metallica. And, um, yeah, it, um, it really made her a presence of what she is and what, and her reputation as being, you know, someone not to, not to fuck with.
1: Yeah, I, even even uh, not only the music industry aspect, but also just how – in a way, obviously, with music industry, but also just how involved – I mean, she's his wife, so naturally, but just how involved she was in making decisions when it came to his career. And I think it's different knowing that he was – that she was his manager and then seeing it firsthand in that capacity, you know? Um and I think even seeing stuff on that show really leads to a lot of the pushback she gets to this day about her making decisions for his career. <laughs> um, You know, and she's obviously gone more into the public eye. I know she's on a couple of talk shows as well nowadays. And, you know, it's, I know his daughter's now doing a bunch of stuff, but um I think that definitely kind of contributed to how much the, the average person knows about their the, the the power dynamic that exists there
0: oh for sure yeah I, I i think without question you realize that sharon was the puppet master basically you know i mean when you see ozzy and in, in you see him his condition because of the alcohol and the drugs sharon's the one that's making these decisions for his career and what and what to do and you know, a lot of them rub, rub people the wrong way. They rub Ozzy fans the wrong way. They've rubbed other bands and musicians who've played in Ozzy. And, um, she definitely doesn't seem to have an interest in, in making and keeping friends, which I can only imagine a female in the music business kind of has to be that way. Um, because I don't think there's a lot of men who are in her position who are really interested in, making friends and keeping them. But when you're a woman, you're under a different microscope, unfortunately. So, but yeah, it really showed the power of Sharon. It really showed her influence on Ozzy's career. And that is part of his legacy. I mean, Sharon is just as much a part of it as Randy Rhodes is, as Jakey Lee, as Zach Wilde, as him being in Black Sabbath. There's a lot of factors that go into why Ozzy is who he is, why he was so popular, and all of them, including Bob Daisy, I can't forget about him. is 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 reasons for that because he really had a group of people around him that put him in a position for success.
1: Yeah, it, it just all throughout his career. I mean, he just managed to find and and work with the, like you said, the people that were able to kind of push him into into the area that he was supposed to be in, you know, even from Black Sabbath all the way to having, you know, those other three people involved in a project uh, with him. And, you know, from Black Sabbath all the way to, I mean, even the stuff he's doing now, he's found a team that, again, kind of... uh Debated between Aussie fans, the newer stuff, the newer stuff, as in the last like two albums he's done over the course of the last like two or three years. Um, I know that also gets a lot of pushback, but I mean, he seems to have yet again found a team that he's comfortable with that I think has evolved the music in a way that's still Aussie, but is different, whether people think that's for better or for worse. That's up for, up for personal debate. But, uh, I think he just has managed to surround himself with people and, He's also just so himself and so uniquely, he just brings his own unique things to the table that he's able to kind of uh, take those relationships musically and and kind of, you know, keep it in the sphere of of the brand of Ozzy Osbourne, you know? So I totally agree. I think he's managed to just surround himself with incredible musicians and and people who knew how to make the best decisions for his career.
0: Before we wrap up, there's one thing I want to add. There's two legendary guitar players that could have changed the face of Ozzy's career um, or trajectory of his career had they been chosen over the more, uh, or uh, the known choice. And that's n- number one, George Lynch.
1: Oh, yep, <laughs> you're going to say that.
0: <laughs> who who, in, who auditioned twice for Ozzy, once prior to Randy joining, and then once prior to jakey lee joining and george has talked over the years about both situations and you know what could have been and 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 what happened i think the second one i think it was the second one or maybe it was the first one where he cut his hair and they did decided not to go with him because he cut his hair and i think that was before the break in the chains album it was before the bark at the moon or it was before when randy joined and then when Randy joined the band, he ended up being the guitar teacher at Randy's family's music t- school. And he taught Randy's um, students. So he became kind of the fill-in guy for Randy's yeah. music school. And then the second one was Richie Cotson, who you're going to be on the road with with Winery Dogs. He um, was going to replace, I think it was Zach Wild. Um, I forget what album it was for. But... Richie's been pretty candid about this. He made a like a like a comment to someone in a magazine or or something where it got into the old AOL chat rooms back in the day, Um, and the Ozzy fans kind of went crazy and were like, "This guy was in Poison. You can't have this guitar player in Ozzy because he was in Poison." Never mind the fact that. He was eons above poison music, you know, music-wise and musician-wise. And he was basically took that poison job for the money uh when it was offered to him because he was on Shrapnel Records for so long as one of those shredders, along with Tony McAlpine and all those guys. But what history could have been, especially with the George Lynch stuff, um, I don't know if if Richie really would have changed anything in Ozzy's career at that point because it was you know, after the No Rest for the Wicked and Osmosis album, and he would become like this pop culture icon with the Osbournes. So I don't know how much, how much it would have changed at that moment. But when you think of George Lynch being on Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman, how different that would have sounded had it been. So it's always an interesting what if question in terms of Ozzy's career.
1: Yeah, I think the what ifs. I mean, with any artist really, but I mean especially with, uh, you know, his guitar players. I think his guitar players have just been so instrumental in his success, uh, in his career. You know, like we mentioned, all the way from Randy Rhodes and how that could have affected his initial success as a solo artist. You know, um, I, I just think that you know, it's, when you think of Ozzy his guitar players are always mentioned, you know, it's, it goes hand in hand with his name. And, um, you know, of course it's, it's Ozzy solely, but you know, you think of Ozzy and Randy, you think of Ozzy and Jake, you think of Ozzy and Zach Wild, you know? Um, so I think it, it would be interesting to see what it would have been like with um, George. But, you know, I also think that everything, George and Richie, but I also think it happens, everything happens kind of for the reason it's supposed to. and, you know uh maybe things would have gone like you said a completely different way if if either of them made it into the band, but it's definitely interesting to think of of what could have happened
0: yeah, it is it really is i mean who who would have uh you know who knows of what the career would have been like and what those albums would have sounded like if even if those songs would have ever been created or or sounded right. like they do like the opening riff of Crazy Train or the opening riff of you know, the title track Diary of a Madman or, or Over the Mountain, any of those songs. Um, it's always cool to kind of think of what it would have been like, but we'll never know. And we have a great catalog of his music to enjoy with Ozzy and Black Sabbath. We really didn't get into a lot of the Black Sabbath stuff, which is fine because the legacy really is about Ozzy. And I know Ozzy obviously was a huge contribution to Black Sabbath and a huge contribution to heavy metal as a result. Um maybe we'll do a a Black Sabbath legacy at some point, but um, you know, Ozzy's solo career. I mean, we got we talked over an hour about that alone. And um, I'm not really into three hour podcasts. So
1: <laughs> I, I mean, we on. also if anybody is looking to get their Black Sabbath fix, I know we also talked a bit about them. I know we did the big four uh That's- classic rock episodes uh on the hook rock. So if you want to hear a little bit more about Black Sabbath, I know we talked about uh, them there as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Please check out that episode, too, as well. In the end, as we as we finish up here, what is your favorite Ozzy song and what's your favorite Ozzy album?
1: Um, so my favorite Ozzy song still to this day is Shot in the Dark. It's, you know, I just... That song is nostalgic for me from when I was a kid. And I just always every time I hear it, it's just one of those songs that I could listen to over and over and over and over again. Um, I actually have plans in the future. Um, once I can find a time when I'm home and and can do it, I really want to get, uh, the, the, um, pinup from the ultimate sin album cover as a tattoo somewhere because I, I connects into the, you know, the, obviously the pinup, the girl, I forget her name. I think her real name is Julie. Uh, I think her in the videos it was Julie, but I think her real name was Julie. Um, was it she Julie was such
0: Strain? a brain. I think it was Julie. The, yeah, the model. Yeah, I think it
1: might have been. Yeah, I know she dated Phil uh Suzanne at some point when he was in the band. <laughs> but
0: she became like this like screen queen in the eighties of like horror movies and stuff. I think.
1: Oh, I didn't even know that. I like. If I,
0: I, I, if we're talking about the same person. I think so. Yeah, I think she was the 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 inspiration for the for the girl on the cover. I could be wrong though.
1: I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna have to go back and check that out. But I know the who they use in yeah the videos it was a whole you know the whole thing the whole all the videos were kind of connected and you know of course she was on the, the album cover so I kind of want to get that as a tattoo um someday because I just I love that song and she was such a big part of that video the video for that song. So Shot in the Dark is still my favorite Aussie uh track for album I really have to go with Blizzard of Oz. And it's hard for me to choose between Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman because I love both of them so much. And Diary of a Madman is when I say a smidge, just a smidge behind Blizzard of Oz. It's literally that close. But when I think about the album that I go back to all the time um, and the album that just blew my mind when I was getting into Ozzy and, uh, you know, kind of getting into the music on my own – it was. It's always a Blizzard of Oz, so I definitely have to go with that one as uh, as my all time favorite.
0: If I had to choose, I would go album "Diary of a Madman." Um, I and, and I'm the opposite. Blizzard is just a hair under "Diary of a Madman." Yeah. <laughs> and if I had to pick the song, I think this may surprise you and may surprise some of my listeners. I've always loved the song "Tonight." Really. I love that song.
1: It's a great song. Definitely yeah. not one that I would thought it would have thought would be your favorite, but I mean, it's, it's a good song. I love it.
0: it there's just the kind of ro- romantic tone to it. Um, and I think what, what we talked about in terms of that sad clown, vulnerable sound of his yeah. voice, I think tonight really captures the essence of that, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great song. I'm, I'm, like I said, surprised by the choice, but not shocked as to why you picked it, for sure.
0: It's like, for me, when you hear and know of all the controversy about him in the early 80s and before that and all that stuff, and this person that's supposed to be the devil has this song like Tonight that's a really a, a gorgeous song. It's like, it's so different than what you'd expect him to do. And that's why I, I think I kind of really gravitate towards him.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, you know. Like, like we mentioned with a lot of his ballads, not something that you think that you would see in his catalog, but, I mean, he manages always to do them well.
0: Well, Sydney, it's been a blast as always. Thank you again for doing this. Anything you want to promote, talk about, or what's going on with Metal from the Inside? Are we, are we Are you, are you still going to do that?
1: It's I, I kind of want to say that's on a hiatus for the time being, um, now that I'm kind of getting into this whole uh kind of full-time touring career that i that i've kind of stepped into so i'm not saying that it's done forever but i think for the time being i'm kind of putting putting a hold on it for right now um there's still a ton of episodes to go back and listen to if you if you'd like to check it out um you know conversations i've now done with my uh i I did with my now boss alice cooper I, i did and um, A bunch of other artists uh, there if you want to go check it out. But I think for the time being, it's it's on hold. But I'm still doing some writing. I'm actually working on my first piece for a major publication that I don't want to announce yet just because I want to wait until um, my first piece is actually up. But that's coming later next week. Uh, so I'm working on that right now. And, um, of course, uh, the most important plug, please come see the winery dogs. I'm going to be out with them doing merch and a bunch of other stuff. But, you know, we mentioned at the beginning of this, that their new record is out and we're, uh, touring, you know, the U S mostly the, um, kind of East coast. I mean, we're going, uh, to the South as well. We have dates in Florida and then, you know, over to Texas and stuff like that. Um, I believe there might be some more stuff coming, but, uh, we have a, I think somewhere around 30 plus dates that we're doing um, starting on February 15th until the beginning of April. So uh, if we're coming to your town, check it out. The com. Um, buy tickets, come see the show. It's going to be fun.
0: I can't wait to experience the sense of humor of Richie Katzen.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it.
0: <laughs> Did you follow him on Instagram?
1: I do. I do.
0: I stuff. <laughs> with him and Julia are just absolutely hysterical.
1: Yeah. He's uh, just a great group of guys. And I'm, I'm very thankful to, to be a part of the pack as, as they say, and uh, to be out there. So it's going to be a good time.
0: Awesome. Well, good luck with that. Thanks again for doing the hook rocks. They appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Jay. I always love being on here and I'm looking forward to the next time already.
0: Absolutely. Everyone. That is Sydney Taylor. And uh, always a a welcome uh, to any show that we do here. always brings a lot of uh, information and great perspective. So uh, thanks again for her. I'm Jay Scott, and this has been another episode of Hug Rocks. Take care of each other, stay safe, and we will talk soon. Thanks.